0: Let's open our Bibles to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. I do see that we have a number of guests. We're grateful that you're here with us this morning. We're working our way through the book of 1 Thessalonians, and this is our second to last week in this study. We're in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 today, and the topic of study is the rapture our miraculous being gathered together in the sky to meet Jesus Christ, our Savior, when he returns. This is no small topic, as many of you know. For believers, this is going to be one of the most epic experiences of our lives. This is huge. Think about this, this coming together in the clouds, in the sky, in some literal, some spiritual sense. We are going to meet Jesus Christ face to face. Sadly, though, we often find that this matter of the believer's re, uh, resurrection is having very little impact on the life of believers. Many people miss out on the massive here and now implications of that then and forever event. And my prayer is that we will walk away today, having better understood and having embraced again these blessings. That so inspire us to live for Christ and to make good use of the time that we have here on earth. So let's begin reading in chapter four, First Thessalonians chapter four, verse thirteen. Paul says, But we do not want you to be uninformed, brethren, about those who are asleep, so that you will not grieve as do the rest who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord Himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds, to meet the Lord in the air. And so we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. Chapter 5. Now as to the times and the epochs, brethren, you have no need of anything to be written to you. For you yourselves know full well that the day of the Lord will come just like a thief in the night. While they are saying peace and safety... Then destruction will come upon them suddenly, like labor pains upon a woman with child, and they will not escape. But you, brethren, are not in darkness, that the day would overtake you like a thief. For you are all sons of light and sons of day. We are not of the night nor of the darkness. So then, let us not sleep as others do, but let us be alert and sober. For those who sleep do their sleeping at night, and those who get drunk get drunk at night. But since we are of the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and as a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath, but for obtaining salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we will live together with Him. Therefore, encourage one another and build up one another just as you also are doing. This is the eternal Word of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank You for these words. We ask that You would give us understanding and show us, Lord, how we might better embrace these truths of Christ's return. Lord, help us to be encouraged and strengthened in them, and help us to know how to encourage and strengthen others with them. We look forward to what your Spirit will do this morning in our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, as a matter of context for what we just read here, we see that Paul's teaching on this eager anticipation of the Lord's return comes immediately following what? His teaching on holiness, His teaching on sanctification, being set apart and fully devoted to God's service and to God's kingdom. We looked at this last week. We see today that when we are striving for and growing in holiness, one of the natural effects, one of the natural consequences is an eager anticipation of Christ's return an eagerness and a looking forward to His calling us home, as Paul and Stan referenced. We call this the rapture. Now, the word rapture comes from a Latin word that is similar to the Greek word that's used here in uh, verse 17 of chapter 4. This is the word harpazo, which means to be caught up Caught up together with the Lord, the verse says. And both the Greek and the Latin word here used for rapture have this idea of being carried off, of being snatched away by force. Any of you who have done some word study on this, recall these things. This describes the believer's resurrection very well. Christ will, with the most amazing power and force, snatch us away from this earth. He will grab us and take us to be with Himself. Now sometimes, there is such intense focus on discerning what is not clear in the text that we miss out on the wonderful, faith-building, hope-giving, peace-infusing truths that are undeniably obvious and most agreeable in the text. Some of you know what I'm talking about. We are going to focus primarily on these wonderful truths today. Matter of fact, we are going to rapidly assemble a list of 21 rapture truths that we find in the verses we just read. If you have pen and paper, I encourage you to take notes. Use the back of the salt starter in your bulletin if you'd like. Write small, there are 21 of these truths, but don't worry if you get behind Or if you run out of room on your paper, I have these all printed off on a list for you that will be out in the foyer on your way out. But for now, I want you to hear these presented one at a time, rather than doing what I would do and that is just sit there and read through the whole list if it's sitting in front of me. So we begin in verse 13. Paul says, but we do not want you to be uninformed, brethren, about those who are asleep, so that you will not grieve as do the rest who have no hope. Truth number one, being uninformed on this matter of the believer's resurrection will bring grief even to believers. Whether we realize it or not, this topic of the believer's resurrection or the rapture is a matter of joy or grief for all believers. If we don't comprehend what God intends for us to comprehend regarding the rapture, we will lack some joy and hope. We will in turn experience some measure of grief and fear. It goes without saying that one of the greatest fears a person can experience is that of death. Who isn't afraid of dying? I don't want to die. The thought strikes some amount of fear in me, but it is not like those who have no hope. Death is a curse. It is awful. It is usually painful and full of sadness. Let's be real. It's terrible. But even in our grief, we have what? Hope. We have the hope of faith. The hope of eternal life. The hope of God's presence. Our hope is in Christ Himself. Even in death, there is for the believer this strong sense that death has lost its what? Its sting. When Christ died and rose again, death lost its victory, which means it lost its winning power. You know I'm referring to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. It says that death itself is swallowed up in victory, but that victory didn't just happen back at the cross. It didn't just happen at the tomb. It happens every time a believer passes from this life straight into the presence of their Savior. In a sense, the victory bell gets rung every single time a saint steps into eternity. I can only imagine how badly that irritates Satan to see that victory won yet again every time a believer enters the presence of Christ. The time will come when death will be further swallowed up in this victory, and that is when we is raptured at the return of Christ. I love the tense of 1 Corinthians 15. death. Is swallowed up in victory. Not just was. Not just will be. It is. There is this ongoing victory taking place. Paul reminds us here, we need to be informed on this matter. Poor information leads to poor hope. Proper information leads to proper hope. And what a hope we will have. Verse 14, For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again... Even so, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep in Jesus, referring those who have died in Christ. Truth number two, believers who die before the rapture will still meet the Lord in the air when he returns. This is interesting. This is the first bit of informing that Paul provides to these believers in Thessalonica. He says, don't worry about those believers who pass away before the rapture, before Christ's return. They will not miss out. Why did Paul tell them that? Because they were worried that their loved ones who passed away, who loved Jesus, had missed out on Christ's return. Just think about that for a moment. Can you imagine being so sure that Christ was coming and He was coming soon that you grieved when a loved one passed away because you thought they had missed the rapture? These Thessalonian believers were terrified because they believed that much. Christian friend, is Christ's return that real to you and me? Does it impact our relationships that strongly? Does it embolden the way we share the gospel with those who do not know Christ? Our minds go right back to the end of chapter 2 in this book in Paul's rapture present view of others. He said, For who is our hope of, or joy or crown of exaltation? Is it not even you in the presence of our Lord Jesus at His coming? For you are our glory and joy. Those are such amazing words. That is such an amazing perspective to have of people, a rapture-present view. And we see here in chapter 4 that Paul's passion for the rapture was contagious. These believers also believed. We see that the fire of his faith lit their faith as well regarding Christ's return. They waited with hope. They saw each other in the reality of the rapture. And so I ask again, does it bother you and me to know that our neighbor or coworker, or friend might not be a part of the rapture? How much does it burden and trouble us and drive us to prayer and biblical gentle boldness like we studied a few weeks ago? To know that one of our own family or relative might not be present when Christ returns. We could almost end this service on this point and spend the next while in prayer, begging God for the souls of those we know and love that do not know Him. We do that in your salt groups this week. Spend time simply in prayer that God would increase and strengthen our faith and our awareness in the return of Christ. Pray for the souls of those who don't know Him. Christ is coming back. And some will be ready and some will not. We think of the parables, the parables that Jesus gave that we read in the Gospels. The parable of the ten virgins. Some had their lamps ready and some did not for when the bridegroom returned. We think of the parable of the stewards. We think of the parable of the servant who is left in charge of his, his master's household who miserably failed his duties and was caught by surprise when the master of the house returned. That man's punishment was no small punishment. Will we be ready? Is Christ's return this real to you and me? Verse 15, for this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that as Paul isn't making this up, this isn't his idea, it's not his vision, this is the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord Himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Truth number three, believers who pass away before the rapture will not miss or even be late for the rapture. They will have the privilege of seeing the Lord Himself first. Let me ask, is there any comfort in that truth? Is that by chance a nugget of truth to hang on to when you find yourself taking your final breaths? The dead in Christ will rise first. Truth number uh, four, which also comes from verse 16, God will not send an angel or any other representative to gather believers back to himself. He will send his own son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. You know how important something or someone is by who goes to get them. If I've been away on a long trip, Ruth says, don't take the shuttle. I want to come get you at the airport. If a very special guest were coming into town, you wouldn't tell them to catch a taxi to your place. You would honor them with your personal presence. It is of no small significance that the Scripture specifically says, the Lord Himself will descend. What does that tell you about your worth to Jesus? He says, don't send an archangel. Don't even send a fiery chariot. I want to go. I want to pick them up. The verse says, The Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout. I'd sure like to know what he's going to shout. (laughs) Sometimes when I walk through the door of my house, my kids come running and they all start cheering. Of course, it just makes my day. Now, I know what you parents with teens are thinking. Enjoy it while it lasts, man. (laughs) Enjoy it while it lasts. My kids don't cheer. They grunt. They groan. They pretend like I'm not even there. They pretend like they're not there. I know, I have a lot to look forward to. But meanwhile, sometimes my kids cheer when I walk through the front door. Some of your Bibles say that Christ descends with a cry of command, that's the case, can you imagine the order that He is going to give that is is going to cause the rapture to happen worldwide? Blows our minds to think about that order being issued from the mouth of Jesus Christ, followed by the voice of the archangel and whatever He will say, And then, of course, there's that blast of the trumpet. Truth number five, the return of Christ will happen with great fanfare. This is a good text, if you ask me, to let your imagination run wild. There are such texts. Not that our thoughts are inspired, but Scripture gives us these word pictures for a reason. And I have to think that that trumpet's going to send the shivers up and down our spines like we have never experienced before. And I'm guessing that when we hear the voice of that archangel, and when that trumpet blast hits our ears, everybody is going to be asking the same question. What in the world was that? And before we can answer, we and all those who are in Christ will be raptured. Verse 17 then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we shall always be with the Lord. Truth number six, believers who are alive at the point of the rapture will follow group one and also meet the Lord in the air. Truth number seven, from that point forward, we will always be with the Lord. I trust that this list of 21 uh, truths regarding the rapture is going to be educational and encouraging for us. We get a good picture of what is going to happen through these verses. Again, truth seven, from that point forward, we will always be with the Lord. This includes both those who are dead and those who are alive in Christ at the point of the rapture. Think about it. When that trumpet blasts, you and I and all those who are followers of Jesus Christ will never be apart from Him again. Are we looking forward to that trumpet sound? It's not just the resurrection we look forward to. It's the always with the Lord factor. When we read the book of Revelation, we see that there's some stuff that's going to happen in the end, and you and me both are not going to want to be there. We are going to want to at least be standing behind Christ our Savior we don't have to worry about ever getting stranded from Christ what Mary and Joseph did to 12 year old Jesus you know what I'm talking about Jesus will never do to us he will never lose us this is why we look forward to the rapture verse 18 therefore comfort one another with these words truth 8 there is comfort encouragement and hope to be found in these truths. Truth number nine, believers are commanded to comfort and encourage one another with these truths. This is almost a command to be at Saul groups this week, so you can be a part of that comfort and encouragement and hope discussion that's going to take place. But that would be a stretch of the interpretation here. Small group or not, we are commanded to comfort one another with the words and truths we just read. We are only nine truths of the way through this text. Can you see the wealth of comfort and hope that these words offer to us when it counts most? The face of death. There are no words like these. Chapter 5, verse 1, now as to the end times and the epochs, brethren, that is the seasons. Paul's continuing on with this discussion of the different seasons of eschatology, that's the end times. And he goes on to say, you have no need of anything to be written to you. For you yourselves know full well that the the day of the Lord will come just like a thief in the night. Notice Paul's change in discussion at the start of chapter 5 here. He has changed topic. It now brings us to what is known as the day of the Lord. That is a phrase used all throughout the Old Testament, especially from the prophets. And it clearly refers to the final judgment of evil, of Satan, of all who follow him. Anyone whose name is not written in the Lamb's book of life, as Revelation teaches. The day of the Lord is the day or the epoch, the season of final judgment we find truth number 10 in verses 1 and 2. the day of the lord is different than the rapture this is a simple observation paul shifts as we're going to see from the positive to the negative from great hope to great terror from one event to another event now, let me quickly highlight at this point that some Christians see these two events as happening simultaneously. as almost being the same event in a sense. They believe that the seven years of tribulation will happen, and then the rapture or the day of the Lord will happen sino- simultaneously with the rest of God's judgment. While I and our church leaders certainly respect that view that comes from their honest desire to faithfully interpret scripture, that view simply isn't the position held by our church. We believe the rapture will come before the tribulation. Now, since today isn't a study of revelation, it's a study of 1 Thessalonians 4, 5, and that is a very important distinction to make. Since it isn't a study of revelation, we'll save the study of the sequence of events for later when we study Revelation again someday, or 1 Corinthians 15, for example. Paul, uh, excuse me, Pastor Mark preached through Revelation just a few years back, and you can see those sermons on the live stream if you would like. You're also welcome to look at our statement of faith online. That can be found on our website or on our community page in the, uh, in the membership group. But I also want to be quick to note here that there is no verse in Scripture. If you found it, let me know. But most theologians all agree there is no verse in Scripture that unequivocally, explicitly says this is the exact order and timing of all the events in the end times. If there was, God-fearing, Bible-studying believers would not draw so many different conclusions on this point. We are all attempting to interpret the implied sequence of events that we see spelled out in Scripture, specifically in relation to the timing of the rapture and the tribulation that we're going to look at today. That is why we should respect each other on this point and not divide. I exhort myself and my church family to stay focused on the primary doctrine of Scripture, and that is that we will be saved from the wrath to come. God knows exactly what, what that wrath is, and exactly when it will happen and what the order will be. And truly, that is all that matters. God knows. God will not mess up here. He will not fail one of His promises. We have nothing to fear. Amen? Verse 3 says, While they are saying, peace and safety, then destruction will come upon them suddenly like labor pains upon a woman with child and they will not escape. Truth number 11. The day of the Lord will come when no one expects it, particularly at a point of apparent peace and safety. For all those who are trying to guess when the tribulation will strike, verse 11 has three words for them. Give it up. It's funny how the Word of God says no one will figure it out. And then those who claim to be followers of the Word of God try to figure it out. We find truth number 12 in verse 3 also, the day of the Lord will be excruciatingly painful. You could add to this, no one who does, how would I say this, all those who are not followers of Christ will not escape. It is a total judgment of those who do not submit to the Lord Jesus Christ. Time doesn't permit us to cross-reference revelation on this excruciatingly painful point but you notice how i haven't uh, cross-referenced revelation today Uh, that's like a woman walking into the store and saying i just want to see what's on sale today or it's like that guy who walks into his garage and tells his wife i'll be back in just a minute we can't cross revelation for just two minutes or a quick glance at a verse here or there If you want lunch today we don't go to Revelation but look at verse 4 but you brethren are not in darkness that the day would overtake you like a thief for you are all sons of light and sons of day we are not of night nor of darkness truth number 13 believers are by nature different than unbelievers this is the work of Christ and the Holy Spirit In those who believe it's the miracle of salvation the miracle of forgiveness the miracle of the promise of eternal life we by nature are children of God we are adopted into his family the verse says we are sons of light and sons of day not of night nor of darkness you know many scriptures refer to Christ as being the light of the world Evil is associated with darkness, etc., etc. Et we get the analogy here. We need to read verses 4 and 5 with verses 6 through 8. <clears throat> Verse 6 says, So then, let us not sleep as others do, but let us be alert and sober. For those who sleep do their sleeping at night, and those who get drunk get drunk at night. But since we are of the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love and as a helmet, the hope of salvation. Truth number 14, this is a truth warning. Believers can spiritually sleep and get drunk similarly to, but not totally like, unbelievers. This verse is not teaching that we can lose our salvation. That is a terrible out-of-context interpretation. It is teaching that we can act like we have lost our salvation. It's teaching that we can act like unbelievers, those who are of the night. We've seen this a few times even in First Thessalonians. Just last week, we learned and were reminded that God didn't save us so we could act like unbelievers, particularly in the area of sexual purity. Here's truth number 15. Believers are called to spiritual alertness and sobriety. This point on our spiritual position in Christ needing to be lived out in Christ-like behavior is captured in a super cool way in that phrase in verse 8. Since we are, let us be. Since we are Christ followers, let us be like it. Let us live like it. Since we're Christians, let us act like Christians. And Christians are people who are spiritually alert and sober. They are particularly spiritually attentive to what is going going on in their life and in the lives of those around them. But even that knowledge, that sensitivity, that spiritual alertness is useless if a person is spiritually drunk. Paul says, think straight. Maintain your sharpest senses. Increase your spiritual clarity of thought. Don't indulge in anything of the world that would inhibit your spiritual sobriety. Christians should be known for doing whatever it takes, letting go of whatever is required to maintain their laser-sharp focus on the spiritual things of life. True love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Christians should have a wise understanding of fear and loneliness and depression. They should be sensitive to temptation and that which is evil. The world is blind to these truths and disciplines, and understandably so. They are drunk in their understanding of these things. Paul says to Christians, don't go there. Verse 8 gives us truth number 16. Faith, love, and hope are key components of both salvation and spiritual sobriety. We've touched on these three points much over the last few weeks. Faith, love, and hope. So we won't dwell on them here. Let it suffice to say that without faith that is strong and love that is deep, and hope that sharpens our spiritual senses and that strengthens our spiritual muscles, we will tend not to be sober Christians. Without a strength of faith, hope, and love, we will tend to not be sober Christians. It is the increasing, the ongoing, increasing, and abounding that we have studied last week week before of our love, our faith, our hope that does indeed sharpen our spiritual senses and give us a strength that we need. These are what keep us awake against the allurements of the world that so deceitfully lull us into what we could accurately call spiritual sleep. Is it just me, or do you also fear that much of the church is growing sleepy? these days. Stay awake, stay sharp. We now come to verse 9. This is one of the greatest end-time truths. It says, for God has not destined us for wrath, but for obtaining salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, not referring to the spiritual aspect just discussed, but the grander aspect being addressed back in chapter 4, whether we are alive or dead, we will live together with him. Truth number 17, believers are guaranteed not to experience God's wrath in the end times. This is the sudden destruction that was alluded to in verse 3. On the contrary, truth 18, believers are guaranteed salvation through their Lord Jesus Christ. Truth 19, the guarantee of salvation is not affected by the believer's life or death on this earth. In the grand scheme of things, these three guarantees that we just read are all that matter. The timing of them is far, far less important. The mechanics of them, hardly important. God will take care of those things and he will take good care of them. He will take perfect care of them. The truth is that whenever the end time comes, we will have no need to fear. We will not suffer the wrath of God. We will actually be saved, regardless of whether we're dead or alive when that moment comes, the rapture. These are the focus points by far of Paul's writings in chapter 4 and chapter 5 that we have read today. Verse 11, Therefore, encourage one another and build up one another just as you also are doing. I love his encouragement at the end there. We've seen that multiple times throughout this book. Paul was an encourager. Truth number 20, there is encouragement and strength to be found in these truths. Speaking of the truths we just read in chapter 5, truth number 21, believers are commanded to encourage and strengthen one another with these truths. Again, because I know what a trap there is on the other side of this study, let me be quick to interject what the text does not say. Verse 11 does not say, therefore, argue and divide over the exact timing of these events. Sadly, many Christians have near totally missed the intent of these passages, and that is comfort, strengthening, and encouragement. I have to think that Satan is having a heyday with a distraction of the exact timing issue on these matters. He is doing everything he can to turn one of the believer's greatest blessings, greatest hopes and strengths, into a point of strife and bitter division. It's incredibly sad. When our SALT groups meet this week, I encourage you not to miss the whole point of everything we have read today. Yes, we acknowledge the position of our church on these matters, but we also respect the views of others who do hold to a different view. But of far greater importance is that we focus on what we can all be blessed by and agree upon, and that is the undeniable truths of this text. For starters, you have 21 of them. I'm sure there are more to be found in the text. Be encouraged with these truths. Be strengthened by them, and strengthen one of There are four application questions, and then we'll be done. Number one, do you believe these truths? Number two, are you encouraged and strengthened by them? Number three, are you encouraging and strengthening others with them? And finally, is your heart ready for Christ to return? The hope of the resurrection, the believer's resurrection, belongs only to those who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. That is the message of the gospel. That is what the Bible teaches that he died for their sins, that he rose again to give them eternal life. If you haven't believed, if you don't even know what it means to be a follower of Christ and to know that you have been forgiven of your sins and promised the hope of eternal life, please speak with me or somebody else here after the service. These verses are clear that a day of judgment will come, and no one will escape but those who believe. It is up to every person to choose for themselves as they read through the Scriptures whether or not they will believe. The text is clear, there is a day of judgment because God is a holy, just, and good judge. The verses we read today warn us that when Christ returns in the end times, He will bring destruction to those who do not believe and experience His free gift of forgiveness and eternal life. My prayer for us is that everyone here will be ready for the return. Be encouraged, be strengthened, and encourage and strengthen others. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank You, Lord for the amazing thought of your return. You did not save us from the penalty of sin simply so that we could live a good life here and then die and forever be gone. There was a much grander purpose, a purpose that puts the here and now in perspective is such a brief vapor of time. Thank you Lord that you have given us such words of hope. I pray that if there is any person here who does not have the hope of the gospel of Jesus Christ, they will read the scriptures for themselves and decide for themselves whether or not to believe. I pray that you would open the eyes of their understanding, reveal them to them that you are the creator who has come and rescued humanity. Oh, that more and more would be a part of the rescuing that Jesus gives from the wrath to come. Lord, for those of us who have placed our faith, our trust in Jesus Christ, because we find no other greater source for our faith, I pray that we would indeed be encouraged. May our fear grow smaller. May our loneliness or depression grow grow smaller by the day. Even as our outward body perishes, may the inward man be renewed. We know that your mercies are new every day. And we also know that a day is coming when no one expects it that you will return. Oh, Lord, help us to be ready for the return. Help our lamps to be trimmed and ready. Help us as stewards of your household to have managed your kingdom well. Thank you for the hope, the encouragement, and the strength of the rapture. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.